This is American Hysteria's Aftershock, where I share with you a story that didn't make it into the main episode. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and today we're talking about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. In the summer of 1944, Americans saw bold headlines across newspapers announcing the Allied powers' first major victories against the Nazi party. But they also saw headlines about a possible chemical weapons strike against the U.S. in the form of poison gas, as well as horrifying reports of gas chambers killing hundreds of thousands of Jews, Romani people, homosexuals, and others deemed unfit for society. But underneath these loud headlines sat reports of a confusing series of events in the small town of Mattoon, Illinois, the apparent anesthetic attacks by the mysterious figure that would come to be known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, who seemed to be either a sadistic psychopath trying to poison a town with invisible gas or an urban legend leading to a town-wide hysteria, manifesting symptoms with the power of this fear. Here are the events as we know them. The first incident started with a strange smell that reminded residents of a cheap perfume— a smell strong enough to wake Urban Rafe in the middle of the night on August 31st. Urban began to feel weak and nauseated to the point of vomiting, suspecting a gas leak to be the culprit. When Urban's wife decided to check the pilot light on the kitchen stove, she too found she could not get out of bed, finding herself partially paralyzed. Mr. and Mrs. Rafe would fully recover, but before the night was through, in a second household not far from the Rafes, a mother awoke in the night to find her young daughter suffering from a coughing fit and physically unable to get out of bed. It would not be the first or second, but the third incident that made it into the press, and this time the police and the public would have a suspect, or at least the shadow of one. At 11 p.m. on the night of September 1st, less than 24 hours after the first apparent gassings, a woman known as Mrs. Burt Kearney was sitting in her living room counting money with her sister Martha and nephew Roger. Burt eventually went to bed with her infant daughter, leaving Martha and Roger in the living room. That's when the third alleged strike of the mad gasser occurred. As Burt would later report, quote, I first noticed a sickening, sweet odor in the bedroom, but at the time I thought it might be from flowers outside the window. However, the odor grew stronger, and I began to feel a paralysis of my legs and lower body. After hearing her sister scream, Martha ran into the bedroom to find Bert unable to get out of bed. After noticing the sweet smell herself, Martha ran out of the house and next door to the home of the Robertsons. Mrs. Robertson phoned the police, and Mr. Robertson searched the Kearney's yard, as did the police when they arrived to conduct a search of the neighborhood, but left after no prowlers were found. By 12.30, Mrs. Kearney's husband, a taxi driver, finally returned home, unaware of the night's events. As he approached his house, he noticed a man standing in his yard, looking into one of his windows. He later reported that the man was tall, dressed in dark clothing, and wearing a tight-fitted cap. After being spotted, the man fled, and Mr. Kearney tried to chase him down to no avail. The police searched the neighborhood a second time, but still came up with nothing. Meanwhile, Mrs. Kearney regained control of her body a half an hour after the apparent attack. Her daughter, who was also affected, recovered by morning as well. 
Mrs. Kearney and Martha speculated the attack was an attempted robbery since they were, for whatever reason, counting a large amount of cash in full view of the living room window, a story that I'm almost more interested in than the mad gasser of Mattoon. By the next day, a headline on Mattoon's Daily Journal Gazette blared, quote, anesthetic prowler on the loose and told Mrs. Kearney's story. The article reported the speculations that Mrs. Kearney's symptoms could have been caused by chloroform and described how the attack may have taken place. Quote, the ingredients could have been sprayed into the room in a fine mist and if used at a distance not too far away from the sleepers would have proved effective. In subsequent articles, the victims of the first two apparent gas attacks also came forward to tell their own stories, accompanied by reports of additional incidents. The articles open the floodgates for several more reports of these mysterious attacks, often with little to no evidence aside from the alleged victims' insistence that they had been gassed in their own home. Nonetheless, reports continued to pour in. Carl and Baylou Cordes returned home on the evening of September 5th to find a white cloth on the porch. Baylou made the unfortunate choice to smell the cloth and instantly became ill with symptoms including a burning sensation in her mouth and throat. Carl and Baylou immediately reported the incident, noting that they had found more apparent evidence of the perpetrator's presence, a used lipstick, and a skeleton key that they said was heavily worn from use. Authorities examined the cloth but found no trace of chemicals, noting that it could not have caused the symptoms that Beilu had described. Like the apparent drug ring or money laundering operation of the Kearneys, I really need to know more about Beilu and Carl. But alas, I'm sure their bizarre biographies are lost to the annals of time. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. With stories of the mad gasser running rampant, armed neighborhood watch groups organized around Mattoon to keep guard against future attacks. Reports of torn window screens and the sounds of footsteps around houses flooded police desks and tied up phone lines. Descriptions of the gasser's appearance became conflicting, with footprints found at the scene of one apparent attack that resembled women's shoes. The FBI even went to Mattoon, but their investigation was inconclusive. 
By the 12th of September, almost two weeks after the first alleged attacks, police made a clear attempt to end the small town panic. They announced their belief that aside from a possible but unsubstantiated claim of a gas leak at the local diesel plant, the entire series of events could be chalked up to mass hysteria. And for the most part, that's the conclusion also drawn by psychologists and sociologists. After the investigation was closed, the police pressured the public to disband the newly formed neighborhood watch groups and to stop reporting alleged gas attacks without any evidence, stating that they would even, quote, arrest anyone who reported a gassing without submitting to a medical examination. The effort was mostly successful, Save for one final report of note. A woman named Bertha Birch reported on the 13th of September that she had spotted the mad gasser and that he was dressed as a woman. In 2003, an alternate theory was presented in the book The Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Dispelling the Hysteria, written by high school chemistry teacher Scott Marina. He names Farley Llewellyn as the culprit, the only suspect the police ever apprehended. A well-known resident of Mattoon called a loner unbalanced and a recluse, Farley was also a suspected homosexual. He lived in a trailer on his parents' property and also created a kind of ramshackle chemistry shack. Marina alleges that Farley became embittered at the community for not accepting him and sought revenge using the skills he had learned during his time studying chemistry at the University of Illinois. He believes that Farley used nitromethane, a chemical with a sweet smell that can induce nausea and a burning sensation in the mouth and throat. It also dissolves quickly, quick enough to disappear before the police arrived. From the interviews conducted by Marina, it seemed that most in the town believed it to be Farley the entire time, easily imagining him dressing as a woman, terrorizing the quiet, dignified small town. It seems that his parents also believed he could be the mad gasser, or at least wanted to de-gay him, and shortly after the alleged attacks, he was sent to live at a mental institution. Another theory wonders if the atrocities of the Holocaust, as well as the nervousness around the potential for chemical warfare, had something to do with the panic. At the time, Mattoon papers reported that the suspect could in fact be a Nazi escaped from an American prison camp. Others simply blamed mass hysteria for the symptoms experienced by the victims. However, this really doesn't explain how, within hours, multiple households reported similar symptoms prior to the news reporting on any of the incidences. We will likely never know what happened in Mattoon in the summer of 1944, but the fear of an invisible death filling the lungs of Americans could have been enough to manifest these physical symptoms that never evolved into any permanent damage, with the afflicted all recovering in a matter of minutes or hours. Others believe the truth falls somewhere in the middle, with the first attacks considered legitimate and the ones that followed manifestations of fear. Farley was, of course, an easy scapegoat, but it is possible he was seeking revenge on a town that wouldn't try to understand him. I guess we'll never know if this was a random psychopathic monster, an escaped Nazi coming after American sovereignty, or a local gay loner mixing chemicals in a shack on his parents' property. What's interesting to me is that no one even came close to dying, let alone having any lasting physical issues. So what was the point? Could Farley have wanted to make residents pretty uncomfortable for an hour? Why did the Kearneys have so much cash? Were they part of a drug ring? Were they laundering money? 
What was up with that used lipstick and well-worn skeleton key? Did they plant it? Did they imagine it? Did the fabulously flamboyant Farley Llewellyn leave his lipstick and a cool skeleton key that was likely part of his outfit on the porch of Carl and Baylou as he gassed them through the window, laughing at their impermanent discomfort? These are the true mysteries that keep me up at night. These are the questions America will never know the answer to. Mattoon was a small town coming to terms with the horrifying reality of World War II and the potential for an American attack. They looked to the outcast. They looked to the homosexual as the culprit, and perhaps he was. But in a sense, Mattoon became a town terrified of discomfort, terrified that they too may have to suffer. This was American Hysteria's Aftershock. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by the fabulously flamboyant Chelsea Weber-Smith, assistant produced by Derek Smith, produced and edited by Clear Como Studios, researched and co-written by Riley Smith, and recorded on location at Densmore Studios in Seattle. Coming up next week is an interview I did with the amazing Sapphire of the Something Scary podcast, where I talk about my paranormal experiences and get a tarot card reading. Because even though I'm a skeptic, I also contain multitudes, even though I don't really like Walt Whitman. And we're also going to give you an abridged version of our live variety hour, and you're even going to get to see videos if you follow us on social media. You can find the links to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in our show notes. And in between episodes, you can enjoy my bizarre Facebook and Instagram stories as I indulge my double Leo self in this Leo season, basking in the golden light of all of your attention. Yes, I like astrology, okay? And thanks as always for reaching out on social media and letting me know that I'm not talking into a void for no reason. And of course, thanks as always for listening. And if you're experiencing impermanent discomfort this week, just know it will pass. And realize that experience can help you understand people who are different than you and what they may experience on a daily basis. Y'all are the absolute best and I'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Friends, hello. I'm Mike Rignetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the internet and the world because of the internet is the way it is. 
How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts.